We Infuse Podcast, episode number nine. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast, where we take the confusion out of infusion, and each week we give you a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion practice from a clinical side and from a business standpoint. We also interview industry experts. In this particular episode, we're actually going to interview Steph and Angie. They are infusion billing experts out in the field, helping practices and clinics optimize their billing issues and challenges. And it's going to be a really good interview because you guys are going to hear two things. Their expertise as they explain kind of the details of what you face when you have an AIC, an ambulatory infusion center versus a home infusion practice and the differences in billing and revenue cycle management and stuff like that. You're also going to hear their passion for patient care and how really helping patients with these issues is a game changer. So without saying any more, I'm just going to jump right in. And here we go with the interview with Steph and Angie. Listen in. Okay. As mentioned today, we have special guests on the show, Angie Baker and Steph Parks, billing and reimbursement specialists with a history in infusion billing. So ladies, thank you for being on the show. Thanks Thanks for having us. us. All right. And Reese is our co-host today as well. And Reese has a history with these ladies as well, or at least with Steph. So this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm excited, uh, Dylan. It's fun to be back in uh, in a room with Steph to talk about infusion. Uh, Steph Parks was our infusion uh, billing manager, um, VP of reimbursement, if you will, for quite a while, for five years at when we were a manager of infusion centers and even when we transitioned over to being uh, a standalone infusion center company. So we're excited to have her back and she's sharp as they come in this world. Thanks, Reese. Yep. You're welcome. <laughs> so, so you, you, you entrusted her with some of the most important details of the business. Absolutely. Um, well, why don't you guys give a little bit of your background just in the infusion industry and experience in billing, just so our listeners kind of know where you're coming from. Okay. Um, well, this is, I'm Steph, <laughs> and I have a, a long background in practice management um, with a focus on infusion therapy. Um, and currently, I am in the pharmaceutical space as a field reimbursement manager. Awesome. I'm Angie Baker. Um, I have about 15 years experience. Uh, My background is a high emphasis in home infusion, uh, revenue cycle management, practice management, sleep medicine. So a variety of different healthcare settings, but all um, revenue cycle. So my current role now, again, is consulting um, with in the field with specialty medications, doing patient access to ensure patients get access to therapy quickly. That's awesome. And usually when I'm interviewing somebody, my next question is, what's your main area of expertise? But I think everybody has a pretty good concept that you guys are experts at billing and and revenue cycle management. And that's exciting to me because when we talk to practices all over the U.S., this is the number one challenge they face. I mean, yes, everybody wants to take great care of patients and an infusion suite is a different business model, but the the risk or the scary part of it for a lot of providers is, is the billing and the revenue cycle management aspect. So we're just really glad you guys could take the time to be on the show. <clears throat> um, what would you want your listeners, if there was one thing, I mean, revenue cycle management and billing for infusion and all these things, it's a, it's a broad concept. But if you could distill that down to one big thing you would want our listeners to to know about your, your specialty, what would that be? Um, I think um, revenue cycle management regarding that is it is incredibly difficult to get 
access, get these patients access to medication from, you know, the very beginning of doing a benefit investigation that sometimes can take 45 minutes. And then the next step of doing a prior authorization, ensuring that we are capturing the correct units on, you know, whatever drug that it is that you're billing for. Um, That doesn't even come into play of billing it correctly. You have to ensure that, you know, you have experienced billers in your clinic. Um, If you're not billing correctly or capturing all the units, I mean, sometimes that could mean Mm $10,000 if you're billing and collecting it. So um, just ensuring that, you know, you have certain protocols in place in your office, um, great experienced people, um, just to ensure that you are being reimbursed for that. And then again, ultimately, the most important piece of that or, you know, who is involved in that is the patient. This is life-saving medications for the most part, um, but you have to be able to have providers be able to provide that service and um, can't do that if you don't have, you know, all of your processes in place. So, And and additionally, just to piggyback off of that, um, as far as the patient access goes, that piece of it. Step therapy is something that we see every day and we are trying to overcome all of these hurdles so that we can get patients' medications expeditiously so that these patients can feel better. Um, Some of them are quality of life medications. So, um, you know, if I could just give one piece of advice to somebody who's going through that sort of thing is, I mean, expect those challenges and sort of, you know, find a way to work around them. Um, you know, we definitely have to get creative sometimes in our roles. And um, to Angie's point, too, you know, making sure that those authorizations are clean um, so that your infusion billing, you know, if that's the drug that you're billing, is reimbursed appropriately because that definitely can be a make or a break um, financial situation for, you know, any infusion center. So when you say get creative, are you talking about, you know, getting patients, you know, connected with a, you know, Copay assistance programs, uh, absolutely. You know, meds, for example, something like that. Absolutely, um, and a lot of the you know manufacturers will offer different um, types of assistance for different mm-hmm. payer types, um, and so like just like you mentioned, copay cards or um, patient assistance, um, those types of situations. If a patient can't get the medication through a payer. Um, definitely explore those options. Um, yeah, that that website is very valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, NeedyMeds.org is one that um, we've used, you know, for yeah. decades. I feel yeah. like <laughs> so. Yeah, that definitely. Um, and also, you know, um, just getting on the phone and trying to sort of just get your point across the payer. A lot of the time, you know, it's ju- it's somebody else sitting on the other end of that phone, and they don't understand how sick the patient is. They don't understand how badly the patient needs the medication. So, you know, getting the clinicals, you know, getting that information across to the payer, uh, I mean, sometimes that can be a huge difference mm-hmm. and can mean, you know, the difference between an approval or, you know, a denial. Uh, Steph, when you were working with our group or with our team, and I guess it was your team technically, I just remember you guys always going above and beyond. Meaning, you know, if you got no on the front front end or the first answer, you don't just stop there. Right. And you guys were constantly getting being creative to your point, and then just you know never giving up on behalf of these patients. And I think that's what makes it that sets a fusion centers apart um, and can set your infusion center apart if you're really you know going the extra mile for these patients. Right. They, I mean, the insurance company, you know, they're. They may say no just out of the gate, but if you fight for your patient, a lot of times you can get it approved. Right. Absolutely. So. Most definitely. And in our role, we provide um, 
a lot of education, a lot of proactive education in these offices on how to fill out the PA form. What is that website to that payer? Um, if that drug is denied, you know, do we have to switch therapy? No, most of the time we can do an appeal. You know, mm-hmm. what are the resources there? So we, um, we're very passionate about ensuring that, you know, if a physician prescribes a certain medication that we know how to get it covered and these offices know how to get that covered. So, awesome. right. Breaking through those barriers. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, it's, I mean, it's clear you guys have a passion for the patient. And I think if you lose that perspective, you're going to, it's just going to be another task you do every day at your job. And I think a lot of these people that you, even you talk, speak to at the payer, they lose sight of that. They, like you mentioned, they lose sight of that patient that's getting that life-changing therapy. And, right. and I mean, that's what makes me passionate. I have, it's my job to sell our software, right. And, and help implement this software into offices, but my passion is knowing that this software helps the provider because it streamlines this incredibly complex business model. It also helps the patient because in our infusion nurses charting area, it really forces best patient care um, and best practices for, for, you know, in a clinical setting. And it's awesome to know that you're actually making a difference in people's lives. And and that's cool that you guys are, you you guys are coming on the numbers side to make sure billing and revenue cycle and all that's done, but it, it really is still all about the patient. Right. And um, that's just great. So, well, knowing that you guys are in that and you, you consult with different offices and, and help these practices, you know, get on top of their revenue cycle management and, and you're trying to bring about best um, or the best result with patient access. What would you say has been maybe one of your biggest challenges? If there's a story that comes to mind or just a situation that's really challenging in that regard. Um, my prior prior roles, I wouldn't say maybe a challenge, but maybe like a light bulb moment, like you had mentioned earlier is, you know, whenever you're a provider of service and you're purchasing these drugs that are so incredibly expensive and you're looking at the way that these different contracts reimburse, and then you're looking at the way, you know, if you have a self-pay patient come in, you know, what would that price be? But, um, and then just looking at the different ways that the reimbursement landscape has changed within the last 10 years, um, I think at this this time, it is so incredibly important to have some sort of either protocol or processes or whether it be technology in place that really puts those safeguards um, that kind of helps ensure that you're not going to lose money whenever you're providing this. So it's um, that would be something that is has been a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. Um, and. You know, and she's right, just to piggyback off of that, too, um, you know, knowing the payer landscape, knowing, you know, kind of being an expert in that field, knowing if you need to go, especially pharmacy versus buy and bill to, you know, save yourself some a little bit of heartache, you know, <laughs> with on the reimbursement side. And, um, you know, make, making those making sure that you have those processes in place so that, you know, you know exactly what what the pro- protocol is going to be. Um, and I, I do know, you know, history with, um, you know, innovative. Um, we had uh, several drugs that were very difficult to get reimbursed on. And so we just made it a company policy that we wouldn't buy and bill those drugs at those particular drugs. And there wasn't many, mm-hmm. but those particular drugs would have to go through, especially pharmacy. They were either extremely expensive or very difficult to be reimbursed, um, you know, or when they did get reimbursed, they didn't really even cover the cost of the medication. So um, to Angie's point, you know, I definitely agree it is 
so important to have those types of uh, protocols in place. Yeah, we do that for newly launched drugs a lot of times. Exactly. You know, they still have a miscellaneous uh, J code, so J3590 or J3490. And so, you know, at Innovative Infusions, that Steph just mentioned where we both worked, we would we would have these policies where, you know, you would, for new drugs that are being launched, because the reimbursement was still questionable, you know, there was still a lot of, you know, enigma around what we're going to get paid, we would you know, force those patients to especially pharmacy or in, that was a company policy for us. Another thing that we did at Innovative was we had full revenue cycle billing managers. And I think for, for us, it was a strategic decision to do that and not silo the different steps and reimbursement up, you know, so some, some folks, and again, there's no right answer here, but some folks are like, Oh, these folks verify the insurance, these code, the claims, these are the AR specialists. But for us at Innovative Infusions, when we were when we owned and operated it, uh, we really had full revenue cycle managers, meaning they did every single step, and they get, you really get to know the patient that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know every single thing about that patient's insurance, um, and if you do the right, if you do the work right on the front end, the back end's a lot better. And for me, as a um, as a leader of the organization, I was able to go to one of Steph's team members and say, "Hey, what's the issue with this patient? Why do they have an AR balance?" And they really had to answer the question. They couldn't say, oh, well, they didn't verify it right, or that department didn't do something right. So it was really all, there was a right. lot of accountability in the process. Right, and ownership in the process. Yeah, was, yeah, and no passing the buck. No, there right? was no passing the buck, yeah. yeah. Because it is a very complicated process. Now, again, there's a lot of reasons why you, there, you can argue the other way, like you can develop mm-hmm. specialists and, and departmentalize everything. But we found um, that it was best to do full revenue cycle management. Right. And additionally, um, you know, our our billers mm-hmm. then, our billing account managers, as we called them, mm-hmm. um, they were also uh, able to develop that relationship with a patient. So, you know, it wasn't just, you know, um, a, it's another Remicade or it's another, mm-hmm. you know, IVIG. It was that patient and their therapy. So it became really personal. You know, if there was a denial, and I can remember a specific patient even um, that, was on an IVIG treatment and then exhausted, capped his benefits. I mean, that is a very expensive treatment and the patient was on a very large dose and it was, you know, I, I remember it was a two, two day treatment even. Um, and he capped his benefits and, um, they wouldn't pay for it any longer. So we had to figure out, I mean, it was this patient. He needed this medication. So we had to figure out how to get around that and, um, figure out how we could get him um, covered additionally. And, you know, we ended up doing that. It was a crazy process. But again, it came back to that patient. You know, it was so important for, to have that patient back in the clinic. And I mean, he was, of course, elated because he needed the medication. So, um, yeah, it definitely makes it more personal. And the follow through is is amazing, you know, because those those people that you hope that are so passionate about patient access mm-hmm. are the ones that are handling those accounts. So, and I'll add to that even further. So, <laughs> rarely did the phones get back to me, uh, but if they ever did, and a patient was on the on the other end of the line, and I would say, well, you know, how can I help you? You know, this is Reese. How can I help you? And they would be like, oh, I'm trying to reach Stephen or Kim, and I'll well, they're out to lunch. Well, I'll just wait till they get back. Then they know mm-hmm. my account well, and. I wouldn't have been able to help him anyway, but, <laughs> but I would have taken good notes so, uh, so somebody could follow back up. But long story short, I think that just goes to prove that, you know, if you have a high level of service, these patients are, they get comfortable talking to that billing account manager as we titled that person and they want to, you know, just wait to talk to the get back. Mm-hmm. And when we did have attrition, which was not often, 
it was sometimes painful that the patients were so used to their billing account manager. Mm -hmm. So not only are they making a relationship with a the nurse, they're making a relationship with the financial piece of the business as well. Right. I think for a lot of these patients, I mean, they're on therapies sometimes for a lifetime. That's so, right. I mean, they're coming back every month. And they want that consistency. Right. right. For so. sure. It's huge. And it's, it's just, I mean, anytime you experience that feeling that you don't matter or that you're just another number, that, that's a terrible feeling, especially when it involves your own personal health. So it's just great that you guys are focused on that and have stories about that. I had a plumber come to my house. And I mean, we were talking it up. He was there for, I think he was there for an hour. And, uh, and he's like, well, is there anything else going on? I'm like, man, to be honest, here's this issue. Here's that issue. <laughs> he started looking at everything. And then at the end of it all, he's like, man, I'm not even going to charge you for that. You know, you, wow. you didn't realize you had that issue and that was easy. And I was like, it was like, wow, is this really happening? This person really cares about me and really just wants to do something good. It's just a, it's just a remarkable feeling. So it's just so neat that that you guys are focused on that. Um, let's now you mentioned a light bulb moment a little bit, but let's, let's get into the difference because we, we talk with practices all over the U S we also get a lot of calls from people that are already in like home infusion or on the pharmacy side. And then they want to have an infusion practice and they think, Oh, this could be a business we could start. It'll be really easy because we're already clinically trained. We're already doing the home infusion thing. How different is it to go from home infusion to the standalone infusion suite or ambulatory infusion center as far as billing and revenue cycle management goes? Well, um, I'd say at the start of care is probably the one of the biggest differences outside of um, the different ways that you bill home infusion. So with home infusion, you, you're getting patients that are discharged out of the hospital. Sometimes you will have a day's notice. Sometimes you'll have 30 minutes notice. So hmm. it really makes a difference whenever you're having to verify benefits, get an authorization, you know, look at all of that home infusion wise. Um, but the process of getting things approved is the same. The billing is a little bit different, just different place of service, um, different benefit category, especially with Medicare. Mm -hmm. There are some drugs that are covered um, in the home um, and then most, very few that are covered in the home. Uh, mostly are covered um, in the office. So um, for the ones that are covered in the home, very, very strict guidelines mm -hmm. uh, that you have to that you have to look at. So um, one of the big things that changed with Medicare um, regarding, you know, infusion and infusion patients, um, you're aware of Medicare Part D, of mm -hmm. course. So yay, 2006, Medicare Part D comes out. They have a benefit for drugs now. Well, infusion drugs were left out of that benefit. So um, the supplies anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, high anticipation of getting coverage for these patients. Most are on a fixed income, of course. They're Medicare age. Um, so whenever it rolled out, um, yeah, you have coverage for your drug, which went through the PBM, but you still have to pay out of pocket for your supplies. So, and that still is the way that it is. Yeah. So um, that's one of the... The huge hurdles, but difference in, I guess, billing-wise is just um, you're billing just a different place of service, basically. And that's, so from a consulting perspective, we infuse, we have obviously the technology piece, and while we don't advertise consulting, we get a lot of consulting, um, I guess, gigs or engagements. Um, and so one of the things we, you know, often struggle with in, in terms of communication, and you can't be clear enough to a home infusion pharmacy that wants to operate an infusion center as a place of service. 
and making sure that if they want to go in the biologic infusion space, you really need to be place of service 11, mm-hmm. which is right. clinic or, or office. I mean, we hear it a lot. Of, it's, but it's basically a physician office right. place of service. Mm-hmm. Not that you have to have a physician. You can use nurse practitioners and some states uh, physician uh, assistants. But again, we always like, you know, end up having to beat that that drum quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. Hey, making sure that you're not billing as an, as a, you know, infusion suite to a home infusion pharmacy. You're truly a separate place of service, a separate tax ID, mm-hmm. you know, in many instances. So, you know, it's contract type as yeah. well. And I think uh, one of the big differences of course, with home infusion and, you know, um, being infused in the office is just, it's a different set of different set of drugs. There's so many drugs that can be infused in the home that, and just the convenience of it in your home mm-hmm. as well. And then there are drugs that can't be infused in the home that have to be infused in the office. So, yep. Yeah. Minor differences. It can make a big impact <laughs> on the bottom line. Marge, the margins, what they are and the numbers, what they are for those specialty biologics. Um, well, tell, tell our listeners what, what are some things you guys are most excited about right now in infusion and everything that's happening as far as it pertains to revenue cycle management and billing and what you guys deal with on a daily basis. Well, um, I'm super excited about, uh, I mean, of course, I have a huge passion for patient access, um, and that is seriously what um, drives me every day. Um, you know, I'm super excited about the the potential changes in the payer landscape. I'm, I'm excited about the potential um, for, um, you know, step therapy to sort of um, go away at some point. Um, you know, we can all dream, right? Um, but also, um, so I feel like, you know, going through the process for appeals and, you know, sort of following those guidelines definitely help change those landscapes. So, you know, just doing what we do on a regular basis, you know, with our patient in mind, you know, pushing for the patient to have therapy quickly um, and going through those proper channels. I definitely feel like that has a huge, uh, is going to have a huge impact on the payer landscapes. And I'm hoping <laughs> at some point we'll reduce the hurdles that these patients have to go through. So, yeah, most definitely. Um, there's a lot of legislation right now to um, reduce step therapy. And I think Texas is one of the states mm-hmm. that has passed that recently. Um, we looked at it at our last last national sales meeting. I think there's about six states that are either have passed something or they're getting really close. So that's a huge win for our patients. And so for people that are listening and don't know what step therapy is, how would you describe that? So step therapy would be, um, you know, if a patient is prescribed a particular drug, but the payer says they will not cover that until the patient has tried and failed other therapies. Sometimes there's two, sometimes, I mean, there's four, you know, it just depends on whatever the preferred medications are for that particular payer. And that's pretty, that's pretty standard. And that it doesn't really impact the patient that much if they're newly diagnosed and new to that drug category, but where it really um, affects the patient is say they've been taking a particular drug for a year and then their insurance changes. Well, their new insurance says, well, you can't take that drug anymore. You have to take these other two. Although they've been taking the drug for a year, it's doing good. We know that he's not, this patient may not react well to the other drugs. So there have been instances where, you know, these offices may not know, oh, I can, you know, appeal that denial with the payer, and then that patient will go and try those other drugs and then ultimately have to go back under the therapy. So it really is, it really affects the patient in a negative, a negative way. And so what is the benefit to a step therapy strategy? Is it to try to keep the patient from taking the most expensive therapy right away? 
Well, I, I think that there's different. I think it's it's different for different payers. I think that maybe um, some of the some of the drugs that they would view as more efficacious because they've been out longer um, potentially. I mean, I and I don't you know I can't really speak on that. I haven't ever. I'm, I've not been on that side of the payer, but um, I mean, I would guess you know drugs that have been around for some time and that have sort of patients have done well on them. They have a great track record kind of situation. Um, that's really I, what I think, um, you know, what I see regularly. That's that's what I think drives it most of the time. And it could be a, a payer. It could be a, you know, cost um, thing too. But, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So, so like when Intivio was launched, for example, it's a drug that treats Crohn's, an infusible drug that treats Crohn's. It went through several, you know, iterations of step therapy uh, across different payer landscapes or in different payer regions. Um, you know, they're used to Remicade. They're used mm-hmm. to, you know, Humira, Embril, self-injectables. Um, and so, you know, it's just a way to, you know, tighten that formulary. Hey, you know, try these first before we approve this new drug, um, you know, cost containment for the payer. Um, sometimes rebates come into play, right? If a manufacturer is giving a drug, you know, a rebate to the to the payer, which may or may not go away, and depending on what this administration does. But, but yeah, there's a lot of lot of factors that go into it. And so, and that's why I love being the host of this podcast because you obviously I know our software, right? But you guys have such a nuanced specialty inside of the infusion world, so I get to ask these questions and get good answers on them. But it seems like the, so the biggest challenge to that is you may have a patient that's on a therapy for a year and their insurance changes and then they have to get off of it. That's the biggest issue. If I hear you Correct. correctly, right? And uh, you think common sense would say, don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you would think, yeah. And that's, um, you know, Steph and I will go in and educate these offices whenever we see that happen and say, no, you don't have to switch your patient. Let's work together. I can show you how to work through that with the payer. Yeah. Continuity of care is mm-hmm. a lot of the, you know, some of that, will go away with continuity of care. But yeah, just trying to educate the offices. You do, you definitely do have to start all over mm-hmm. whenever there's a new payer involved. And, you know, sometimes that can prove to be incredibly frustrating for the patient, especially if, you know, like Angie was saying, they're doing well on the drug already, you know, and then they have to step back and, you know, it's not covered any longer. You know, a lot of these drugs are so expensive and patients can't afford to pay for them out of pocket. So, you know, there's kind of a, a really urgent need to mm-hmm. get through that process quickly. And if you want more information, uh, this is a really uh, big topic for the National Infusion Center Association. So visit infusioncenter.org. Uh, we really, you know, outline step therapy, what uh, NICA is what we call that organization. So what NICA is doing there uh, in ICA or NICA is what we call it um, in, in terms of, you know, advocating for patients to reduce barriers, to reduce step therapy mandates in all states, they were actually, I think they wrote the legislation for Texas or helped write the legislation for Texas. So, oh, that's so good. So. Well, there's so much we could talk about and you guys could easily just <laughs> rattle off all these really detailed answers, but um, we don't want to turn it into an hour and a half long podcast. So what's one kind of last parting piece of advice for our listeners? Um. Just continue to advocate for your patients. I would say um, take any opportunity that there is to, you know, go the extra mile, do the extra education that, you know, you may have to do, spend the extra time um, in that aspect. So I'm totally there with right there with Angie. Um, You know, again, we have a huge um, passion for patient access. So definitely push through those barriers and follow the process 
um, so that, you know, patients can get on medication and hopefully we can get legislation changed so that we don't have to jump through as many hurdles. That's so good. Well, uh, Steph and Angie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank, thank you. you so much. Again Thanks, for guys. Yeah. Thanks. It's awesome. All right. That sums up our interview with Steph and Angie. We hope you got a lot out of that. And if this has been helpful to you, definitely like and share. If you see this on LinkedIn or on our Facebook page, if you could take the time to rate and review on iTunes, that would be great. We love seeing those reviews and that helps us to get the word out. And then also, if you haven't done so yet, definitely check out our blog. You know, Brian and Reese really are experts in the infusion space and they write blog posts and we post those on our website. Check out our blog at weinfuse.com and just go to that tab that says IV Insights and you can read the latest articles, uh, many of which have to do with billing, NDC billing, talking about the different issues in billing in the infusion suite and even providing formulas for doing that correctly. And if you haven't done so, be sure to request a demo of our software to learn how we infuse can take the confusion out of your infusion practice and schedule a short demo meeting that takes 30 to 40 minutes to see the best platform out there for managing the entire infusion practice workflow. Just go to weinfuse.com and schedule that demo today. All right, guys, this is Dylan McCabe with the We Infuse podcast. Thanks for joining us, and we will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.